Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unstoppable. We have Mark Stone here with us from Sales Tax Defense LLC. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So Mark has been a sales tax professional for 30 years. We had gotten in touch uh, probably about a week and a half ago. My CFO, Joe Honeyman, when you guys were talking because we had a couple questions about a project we were working on, and it just kind of led to, you know what? This guy's probably a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> Let's bring him in here. Let's try to extract as much information as we can from him. Try to share it with everybody because sales tax is one of those things that people just, they don't get it, right? There's, there's so many moving parts. What do you charge sales tax for? What don't yep. you charge sales tax for? Who, do, who has to? Who doesn't? You know, it's just, it's a crazy world. So I figured, come in here. Let's have a quick chat and kind of see what, uh, see what we can learn. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and I always describe it as the stepchild of taxes because nobody thinks about it until there's a problem. Exactly. And, and it's usually when the government gives you a bill is that problem. And it's one of those things that uh, you just you can't get away from, right? It's not like a thing where, you know, even if it's on a tail end of an entity, entity closes, the government still wants their sales tax, right? So it's, a, it's definitely a serious subject. People really should understand it, know it. It could get you into a lot of trouble. But like you said, people don't even think about it. They collect it, they pay their bill, or don't collect it at all in some cases, and uh, it, you know, kind of catches up to people. Yep, and it's a, as you were saying, it's a fiduciary responsibility. So even if the company goes out of business, the state still goes after the owners or the partners or the officers of that company to make them pay it personally out of their pockets. Yeah, I, I, listen, I've uh, I'm, I've personally been involved where uh, things just catch up, you know, and all of a sudden you get that bill from the government. And it's like, oh, shit, how are you going to pay this? Yep. So I, I completely understand it. I know the importance. Tell me a little bit about you, how you got started, your company, and this way people kind of understand and have a foundation of who we're talking to. Sure. Well, 30 years ago, I went to work for New York State as a sales tax auditor, um, going out to businesses and asking them for money. Uh, I did that for a few years and decided it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I left the state, uh, went into public accounting, got my CPA license, uh, along the way, got a master's in taxation, taught graduate uh, school at CW Post, uh, and then about 15 years ago, started my own practice called Sales Tax Defense, where I really just advise other accountants, lawyers, and their clients on sales tax issues throughout the country. Nice. And now, it's important, you're not a tax accountant. Like, you know, I'm not going to go to you, you're not going to do my tax, you're not going to file my tax return for me. You specialize solely in sales tax. Correct. The one and only income tax return I did this year was my own on TurboTax. <laughs> nice, nice. So so your referral sources are our are, are taxes, are, I mean, our accountants, our lawyers, people that come to you and say, you know what, this is kind of a specialty. This is a, this is a case I want you to handle. You step in and you only handle a company's sales tax. When Now, it's not just when they're getting audited, correct? Correct. When, when I'm given the opportunity, um, I prefer to get in there before they're audited and do things proactively because it's a lot easier to tell someone, do this now, you're doing it right, and then when the government selects them for audit a few years later and they look at their records, everything's perfect. They don't owe money. If they've been doing it wrong for three or four years and the government then looks at their records, they're going to get a bill. Now, are there, there are probably certain companies, I would imagine, that are much more suited to have your services and be proactive with your services. I would imagine a lot, there are some, you know, if I own some sort of retail shop, right? I know I'm charging sales tax. I don't need a sales tax consultant. It doesn't get really hairy at the end of the day. Same thing over and over. So I'd imagine that's a little bit more straightforward. But there's probably other people like our industry, right? Construction yep. industry that, that is much more suited to have somebody like you. What are those industries? Like who are your typical clients? 
So, well, those cash businesses are always audited mm -hmm. because the government wants to make sure the top number, the gross revenue number is right. Mm -hmm. Then they look at businesses that have a mixed bag of goods, whether they're selling some taxable items, some non-taxable items. A clothing store, for example, some clothing's taxable, some clothing's mm -hmm. not taxable. Shows how much I know. And then, well, but other stores, everything is taxable. Yeah. That makes it easier. And then they look at businesses that have very large non-taxable sales because they want to say, if you're not charging tax and we can catch you on something, you're going to owe us money in all your sales. And that's kind of where the construction industry gets caught up on this. And then surprisingly, something that also triggers a lot of sales tax audits is companies that report either a lot of depreciation expense or Section 179 expense, like doctor's practices, because they're going to say to a doctor or a radiologist, yes, we know your revenue is not subject to sales tax, but you just bought a million-dollar MRI machine. Did you pay sales tax on that machine that you just bought? So they look at both ends of it. They look at the revenue side and the purchasing side. Now, I know that in our industry, something that we get hung up on a lot is capital improvement, right? So with capital improvements we don't have to collect sales tax, right? Correct. And that's a lot of what we do. I mean, we're building, you know, we're, we're building buildings, we're building this, uh, new construction, right? Yep. All those things are things that we don't have to charge sales tax on, but there are things that are in the mix of that mm -hmm. where it does get a little bit hairy and, you know, we do have to charge sales tax sometimes. Um, repairs, for instance, if we go back and we do a repair, we do insurance work. Like, how does someone know if what they're doing is should be charging sales tax, is taxable, or isn't? So what I say to every construction client, every contractor client I have is, please don't compete with me in business. Don't be giving tax advice. Your job is to do great construction work. So the starting point for everything is that it's all taxable, no matter what you're doing. If your customer doesn't want to pay sales tax, very simply, they have to give you a single sheet of paper, a capital improvement certificate, that says this job is a capital improvement. Don't charge me tax. Now the contractor is done. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to worry about it. They have the proof. If they ever get audited, they show it to the government, and, and they're done. If the customer doesn't give them the capital improvement certificate when they ask for it, charge them tax. That's it. If, if the customer can't literally sign their name to a single piece of paper to avoid tens of thousands of dollars of tax, they probably should be paying it. Mm -hmm. Now, tell me how that liability is transferred, right? So, okay, fine, I get my sheet of paper, I'm good. Now, what if I, what if I believe it's taxable, right? But the, but the customer still wants to give this to me. They give me, my, they give me their, their, their capital improvement form, they have it filled out, they have it signed, they give it to me, I'm good, no matter what. I'm... But you can't accept something that's clearly fraudulent. Okay. That's, that's, but the government would need to prove that you know that it's fraudulent for, for them to say that you shouldn't have accepted it. So. Yes, if you're going into somebody's bathroom and fixing a leaky sink, you probably shouldn't accept a capital improvement certificate mm -hmm. no matter what. But hopefully most people don't have so many of those situations yeah. where somebody's fighting over $30 of sales exactly. tax. If I'm a plumber that's constantly doing repair work and right. I have you know 10,000 capital, you know, obviously there's something wrong. So now I'm the customer, right? So I'm just yep. kind of curious. I'm the customer. I hand this off, right? Mm -hmm. And now when, they're get, they're, when they get audited or if they ever get audited, they they... Explain to me that process on if I didn't 
pay, forget about collecting. If I didn't pay sales tax, what does that look like? So, well, the, the way that would first happen is the, the government very rarely audits individuals for sales tax, uh-huh. um, other than people that buy million-dollar pieces of artwork and planes and, and that category of people. And we're typically B2B, so that's, that's kind of where my okay. mindset is, like another business paying me. So that's kind of where my thought process was. So, so they come and they audit you, mm-hmm. and they see your work, and they ask for your, your contracts or your invoices, and they question one of them. They think it's a repair, but you pull out the capital improvement certificate and say the customer gave this to me, and I'm not here to fight with them. Mm-hmm. They take it. They might then go audit that customer. So when they audit that customer, they're going to look at it and, and determine whether or not it really is a capital improvement. Um, then if it is not a capital improvement, they're going to charge the customer tax. If that customer is doing lots and lots of things wrong, so on every single item that they bought, every single thing that they paid for, they gave out a capital improvement certificate, they gave out a resale certificate, they gave out phony certificates for things, then the government might look at them and say, wait a minute, you're playing games here. The government has a right to charge them a $10,000 penalty for each certificate they give fraudulently. But there's a huge difference between making a mistake mm-hmm. and something being fraudulent. You know, if, if the granite countertops in my kitchen crack and I have somebody come in and replace them and they were old to begin with, is that a capital improvement or is that repair and maintenance? That's not a fraudulent situation. That's maybe a mistake if someone gives a capital improvement certificate, but that's not fraud. But if I've given a hundred certificates for changing the light bulbs in my house, they're going to start to look at that a little bit more seriously. Now, if a project is, and this is, this is where we started getting hung up, right? So if a project is truly a capital improvement and we're redoing, and let's, let's kind of, let's make it simple for redoing someone's house, right? In, in our case, we're redoing an entire building, right? But let's say we're redoing someone's house um, and we're doing everything in that house. Are there certain items within there that are going to be taxable and certain items that aren't? Is it based on the contract? Maybe if one guy's coming in to do one small thing, like how does that look and how do you differentiate inside of one project? What is and what isn't? So, so the general rule is that you look at the, a project in its entirety. It either is or is not a capital improvement. And, and the courts have said that, listen, in doing a capital improvement, you're going to have some patching of walls. You're going to have some fixing of minor things. You're going to have some wiring replacement um, because that's part of making something bigger, better, newer, last longer. That's, that's all naturally part of it. Um, where you're going to end up not having pieces of the capital improvement is if there's things that are not permanently attached to the real property. So I've seen construction contracts where it says, build me an office and furnish the office. Mm-hmm. So the furniture itself is a separate line item. Um, the furniture is clearly um, not part of the real property. The furniture is going to always be taxable. Where you start to run into a problem is, is even just like this room that we're in. You That's have, exactly what I'm thinking. You have these lights that, are they furnitures and fixtures? Or are they part of the real property? You have these TV screens. So when you're looking at that, what you have to look at is if the company moved, are they taking it with them? If they're going to leave it there, it's probably part of the real property. But things, you know, listen, just because you plugged your computer monitor into the wall, that doesn't mean it's part of the building. So that's kind of the common sense standard that almost everybody goes by and the courts follow. If you're taking it with you when you move, it's going to be tangible property that you pay tax on. And if you're going to leave it there as part of the construction, then it's part of the real property and part of the capital improvement. So things like, um, like, like, 
in, uh, Ethernet cables, right? Yep. Like all the all the technology we have in here that runs for our Wi-Fi and this, and if we if we put in uh, you know new uh, new switches and is all that could that be considered? Because construction is kind of easy, right? If we're redoing the whole place, right, and we're it, you know I could see that being a capital improvement, but those things like that are embedded in walls and like wires are embedded in walls, but the things you plug into the other end of the wires aren't or this. So those things can be considered a capital improvement in some cases, but in other cases might not be because like, I don't know, companies might not take all their switches and all their gear and their Wi-Fi and their, and their hotspots and their this, and it gets, it gets touchy. It does. So again, you can't address every situation, but if you look at a room as a box, Whatever's in the walls of the box is probably going to be part of the capital improvement. Whatever's sticking out of the walls of the box is probably not part of the capital improvement. So I think all the cabling, all the, all the wires, um, probably even the hotspots are probably all going to be considered capital improvements. But once you get to things like switches that are really just plugged in, they're not wired in, um, I think there's a, a difference there. Um, because you have light fixtures, you have chandeliers. Chandeliers are clearly considered capital improvements, but they're hanging down out of the walls. Um, but they're actually wired into the electricity. A lot of hotspots are now wired into the electricity, as opposed to just Ethernet switches that literally just get plugged in with a Cat5 or Cat6 cable. So some discretion there. Understood, understood. Now, let's talk about resale certificates, right? Okay. So, so companies that provide material or companies that are suppliers or part of a supply chain might not always pay sales tax because they're the ones collecting it at the end or um you know whatever there, there's there's different there's different classifications on whether or not that sales process a product going through their supply chain certain people have to pay sales tax and certain people don't if they plan on reselling it so explain to me the resale certificate and when a product, right, if this pen's going through the supply chain, that product, when people have to collect and when people don't. So the resale certificate is when it's somebody's inventory that they're hoping to sell to someone else rather than something that they need to use in doing their job. So um, an example that I, I like to give is if, if Toys R Us, which is out of business, but Toys R Us is buying bicycles. So when they buy bicycles from the bicycle manufacturer, they issue a resale certificate because the hope is, so I'm gonna come in with my son, he's gonna pick out a bike, I'm gonna buy the bike and they're gonna sell the bike to me. So that's why Toys R Us is issuing a resale certificate. But whenever you're buying something that you're going to consume, then you're not allowed to issue a resale certificate. You have to pay the tax on it. So why Toys R Us may buy 100 bicycles, one of the bicycles is actually gonna be out on the floor and somebody's gonna be riding around the store on the bicycle to test it out. So they're actually supposed to pay tax on that one bicycle because they're consuming it. They're not reselling it. So that same concept really holds true to contractors and material suppliers. You may have a, a large distributor that buys flooring or roof tiles or whatever it might be, electrical components, and then they sell it to Home Depot. Um, Home Depot will issue them a resale certificate and not pay sales tax. Now a contractor comes along and buys those same materials in a smaller volume from Home Depot. The contractor actually is deemed to be the consumer who's using those materials in their job. So the contractor is not allowed to issue a resale certificate to Home Depot. They have to pay tax on those materials. And then if there's an adjustment later on, the contractor has to actually straighten that out with the government later on. Okay, now if I, let's say I do, I do a, I, 
I redo my whole house, right? And and, and it's clearly a capital improvement. I just I, re, I I just replace everything. I renovate the entire the entire house, and I didn't. I I paid sales tax. I didn't consider it a capital improvement. I didn't know any better, and I paid sales tax. And you know, if it's a two hundred thousand dollar job, the sales tax bill is significant. Mm-hmm. If I do that, and I realize afterwards, like, oh crap, and I go to my contractor and I say. Hey, I shouldn't have paid you all that money. And they say, "Well, I don't know what to tell you. I've already, I've already issued a check to the government. Tough luck. It's, there's nothing I could do about it. Is there anything you could do to go and recoup that money from anywhere? Yes. Okay. So if you, the person that's a, the person or entity that's erroneously paid the sales tax can file a form. It's called AU-11 mm-hmm. with the New York State Tax Department and say, "I paid sales tax on my capital improvement. Listen, I had my house completely gutted and redone." I paid $16,000 of sales tax on that. I'd like that money back. What you have to send in with that is a copy of your contract to show that the house was done. Mm-hmm. You have to send in a copy of your cancel check to show that you really paid the tax. And then they'll send you the money back. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So, so in some cases, if, I, if I'm a businessman and I'm handling a lot of sales tax in and out, right? Um, you come in and let's say I've never really thought about it before for for. 40 years, I've been doing it the exact same way. It is what it is. No one's ever came and knocked on the door. No one's ever checked. Maybe one day they do, but now you step in. Is that what you would do? Is Would you look at all the things that they've been doing both in and out? And I would imagine they have accountants and accountants should be looking at these things in this, but are the things that you would pick up or things that you would tell them to do differently in order to protect themselves or possibly even get a refund? Like what are some of the steps that you would take if you walked into a business? So- Absolutely, but you look at the big things first. So the, the first thing that I would say is, are you filing sales tax returns? If you're not filing sales tax returns, no matter what type of business you're in, construction company, doctor, retail store, mechanic, doesn't matter what it is, if you're not filing a sales tax return, you're doing your sales tax wrong because mm-hmm. everyone should be filing a sales tax return. Then from there, the next, are you charging tax? So if you're charging tax, great, you probably have a lot less exposure than most people, as long as, of course, you're turning the money over to the government. Um, which sometimes doesn't always happen. Um, but if you're not charging tax, why are you not charging tax? Um, let's verify that doctor services are legitimately not subject to tax. I mean, that's easy. All right, you're in construction. What's your policy? You say, all we do is capital improvements. Show me your capital improvement certificates. Well, for 40 years, I haven't been getting capital improvement certificates. All right, let's end that practice today. Mm-hmm. And starting tonight, you start getting a capital improvement certificate for every single job you don't want to charge tax on. That's all, you go to your customer and you say, listen, you don't want to pay me tax, I don't want to collect tax, I'm not the sales tax police, I don't work for the government, Um, just give me the piece of paper, that's it. I don't want to charge you the tax. Mm -hmm. So now you, the business, are covered if the government ever knocks on your door because the customer made a representation to you that is a capital improvement. Then from there, we look at the other really big things. All right, all you do is capital improvement work. So the government then says, you should be paying tax on your purchases if you're a contractor. So are you paying tax on your purchases? And every contractor always says, yes, I'm paying tax. My suppliers always charge me tax. That's the standard line. And I say, where do you get your lumber? And they tell me Canada. And I say, where do you get your cabinets? And they tell me North Carolina. And I'm like, the company in Canada is not charging you New York sales tax. And I'm pretty sure the North Carolina company is not charging you New York sales tax. And we go and we look at a couple of bills. That's, that's all it takes. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. So there's not always a lot that you can do to fix the past. But then going forward, listen, you have to self-assess something called use tax and pay the tax on your lumber. 
And now you know you got to price your materials 8%, 9% higher and build that into your cost so that way you don't ever run the risk of the government knocking on your door and clawing back 9% of your profit to pay the tax. You made the, the consumer pay the tax where they're supposed to. And whether you're collecting sales tax or not, whoop, I do that all the time. When you collect, whether you're collecting sales tax or not, you should be following, following, uh, filing those sales tax returns, correct? Every single business in New York State, without any exception whatsoever, should be filing a sales and use tax return. And why is that important for people that don't collect sales tax at all? So let me take two examples, a construction company and the same doctor. And they both say, I don't have any taxable sales, so I don't have to worry about it. And they're, they're correct. They don't have any taxable sales. So the government comes in and does an audit of them. And what the government's going to do if you didn't file sales tax returns is make you produce your books and records for six years. And if you go back to years four, five, six, and you say, where are your Home Depot receipts? Where's your receipt from the MRI machine? Where's the, and well, I moved four years ago and I lost the records from before that. The government makes the assumption that if you can't prove to them that you paid the tax, you owe the tax again. So if you filed the sales tax return, the government legally can only look at three years of your records rather than six years of your records. So just by doing that, your record-keeping responsibility is much, much less. Your exposure is much less because if you lost a piece of paper, they're not even allowed to ask for it. It will save companies tens of thousands of dollars by filing an annual zero sales and use tax return. Okay. And if, um, if somebody wants to, at what point, right? And I know you said you want to be proactive. In a perfect situation, do people utilize you similarly to the way that they use an accountant? You come in on a regular basis. You make sure they're doing things right. You're part of kind of that consultant or professional services process. And on a regular basis, you're coming in and checking in on them. Is that the best way to do it? Or do they call you when they have a problem? Well, the best way to do it is do it proactively because if you wait until you get a bill, it, it's not impossible to fix a bill, but it's harder to fix a bill. If I say, again, to a construction company, just get capital improvement certificates, their sales are, are pretty much safe from audit. If they don't do that and then they get audited and the auditor comes up with a bill, it's hard to prove after the fact that things are capital improvements. So. You know, you don't want to wait till you have a heart attack to go see your cardiologist. You know, if you go see him once every five years and he put, puts you on the treadmill and you run and he says, all right, listen, you got to lose 10 pounds and you got to stop eating steak every night and you make some changes, you never have that heart attack. When you go see your cardiologist, once you've had a heart attack, there's a lot less that he can do to fix it. Now, is that, are you talking, you come into the business, are you coming in once a month, once a week, once a year? Like how often would you come in and, and work with a client? I'd actually proactively like to come in once every five years. Okay. That, that's all that's it really it. is. Because if I say your business is not going to make too many changes over any year or two. If I construction, just staying with that, get a capital improvement certificate, pay tax on your materials. We talk about a couple of other things you do. Okay, now you're doing property management services. Now you're doing something else. Um, there's things that may have changed, but you know, and things take time to change, and things take time to get traction when you change. So. Just because you added a new service, you're probably not doing $10 million worth of business the next day. I wish it was that easy, but that's just not how it works. So yes, you started something two years ago. You're doing it a little bit wrong. We fix it today. You have minimal exposure. So once every five years to be proactive, I think, is plenty. And what's the most common thing you see that gets people in trouble? Um, well, listen, people get greedy, um, and they steal from the government, and there's business pressures out there. 
Um, what people don't understand is how much third-party information the government has. Um, so lying to the government is wrong. I'm not going to say to anybody that you should cheat on your taxes. But when you tell different lies to different people, you make it very easy to get caught. So when you report a million dollars a year on your sales tax returns and $2 million a year on your corporate, your New York State corporate income tax return as your revenue, and you report $3 million a year to the IRS as your IRS revenue, the state gets all of that information. They run it through a computer, it doesn't add up, and they come audit you because you've told three different lies. So a lot of people get greedy and, and get caught because they're telling lies, different lies to all different people. Okay, okay. Um, all right, well listen, Last thing I want to do is I want you to tell me that when a company's getting started, because a lot of this stuff can start early on, right? Like I'm a big set the processes up right, set it up right. early, set it up now. What are the? Give me three tips. Give me the best tip. Give me what you have advice for new entrepreneurs that are starting up a business on sales tax. What should they do? What they should? What should they look for? And what that? What should their process be? Um, I'll give you two different groups of tips. Um, the sales tax tips are be registered for sales tax. Um, don't get into the business, and a lot of companies do this, helping your clients steal. Clients don't want to pay sales tax. So they say, let's ship something out of state. Let's ship an empty box. Let's do that. You don't want any part of that. If, if someone else wants to steal, that's their business. Your job is either to charge tax or get a piece of paper. You get the piece of paper. You say, thank you. I don't have to charge you tax. You're done with that. And it's really collect tax, right? No one's charging anything. No one's profiting off a of tax. Right? Correct. Every They're dollar you get it. goes up to Albany. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, make sure you're paying tax on what you're supposed to pay tax on. And um, keep the records to prove that you did that. That's, that's the sales tax advice I would get. Give um, the general advice I would say to anybody starting a business. Probably that you would say to somebody that you're building a house for, building a building for. It starts with the foundation. If you don't spend enough money on the foundation, no matter how big you build something, it's going to fall down. Spend a little bit more money in the beginning meeting with your accountant, meet with your lawyer, meet with a lawyer that knows something about labor law because that's a very big issue. Talk to someone that knows about other taxes, payroll taxes, sales tax. Get all your bases lined up. Um, and then things will just work because you can really get distracted running a business, fixing all these problems. But if you can just not have the problems and you can just focus on your business, it's really much easier to be successful. Very good. Very good. Um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you and they want to reach out, how do they do it? Uh, name of my firm is Sales Tax Defense. Um, we have a website, www.salestaxdefense.com. Uh, you can reach me by giving me a call, 631-491-1500. Um, and my email address, my name again is Mark Stone. So my email address is mstone, M-S-T-O-N-E, at salestaxdefense.com. Mark, thank you very much. It was a pleasure coming in. Um, you're a wealth of knowledge. I appreciate it tremendously. I know this stuff uh, sometimes uh, feels like it's like the minutia, but it really is the stuff that can kind of keep you going and kind of take you down if people come in. So I appreciate it. It's important. Look them up. Mark Stone, thank you very much. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me.